Betches Media presents... I would like to speak to America's men for one minute. That slacker barista. I start getting full of emotion. Now we're going to build this new bridge here. Can I provide a definition? Mm-hmm. No, I can't. Betches Up Podcast. Like, how are people surviving? Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Millie Tamaris. And this is the Betches Up Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. And uh, what a what a topic to process and laugh at today. It is Monday after a weekend headline in which Donald Trump claims he is getting arrested this week. Tomorrow. As soon as tomorrow. <laughs> he says tomorrow. Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. Yeah. Trump's going up on a Tuesday, as they say. <laughs> getting booked on a Tuesday, perhaps. So so Trump claims that he's getting arrested tomorrow. And uh, this would be in connection with the years-long investigation into a hush money scheme involving adult film actress, Stormy Daniels. Trump truthed that the leading Republican candidate and former president of the United States will be arrested on Tuesday of next week, which is tomorrow. So what is this related to? We know that the Manhattan DA's office has requested meetings with law enforcement agencies. So that's like the New York police, maybe some other agencies to discuss security related to any indictment announcement. His biggest supporters. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, like, listen, we hate Donald Trump. I'm not really planning to riot if he's not indicted. So I would assume the reason they want to discuss this is because there's plans for an indictment. And this is obviously due to concerns that pro-Trump protesters may come into the city in response to that arrest. And in a just very, might. Just might. <laughs> they, they, they've been active. Why would they do that? And in a chilling instance of deja vu, Trump in, encouraged them to. So, I mean. Reactions from the weekend. Um, can you imagine a January 6th in Manhattan? Ooh. Like. I guess I wonder, like, what what, be like, what they would, would rally around, like, because you know, January sixth they had like a Santa target Con's with yeah. in camo. Yes, it would be it would Santa be Con. Santa Con energy. I was actually in Manhattan for uh, like the Saturday after St. Patrick's Day, which was what when the NYU students celebrated, oh um, and the energy was pretty tense then. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was I mean, two weekends in a row. What's up with that? I mean, it is in Manhattan because New York is a place. I mean, I don't know the exact statistics. I don't know if it is technically majority white, but it's diverse enough, definitely, that when you see a massive group of only white people, you are not. That's not a good sign. Yeah, yeah, it's not. And they're all, they're all moving as one <laughs> like, well, down the block. I'm like, oh, no. Yeah, well, because if they city, share a gender, yes. where would it be? Like the city downtown? Hall? I think it would in be like, in lower Manhattan, which yeah. is basically Chinatown. It's yeah. like really close to Chinatown. So that's just going to be there are very some interesting plazas. I mean, yeah, it depends where he <laughs> He heralds them. I mean, he will be. So what might happen this week in in the event that there is an indictment? Like I said, the Manhattan DA's office, presumably it's a signal that they're trying to meet with law enforcement to discuss this indictment. So there's been a grand jury that's been hearing lots of witnesses related to the Stormy Daniels things. Obviously, we know Michael Cohen has already served time for this. This happened. The grand jury has heard from Michael Cohen. Like I said, they've heard from Kellyanne Conway, Hope Hicks, a bunch of people. And I know they're hearing from one more witness today. But I think there's been reporting that his team has been coordinating with prosecutors to make his arrest as spectacle-free as possible. So when he's arrested, it's not going to be like suddenly Trump is in prison. It's going to be he's arrested, he surrenders, and then he goes through the process. He gets processed and arraigned, and then we'll get fingerprinted and a mug shot. We can have a Trump. <laughs> I know. That would be yeah. so crazy. I know. Just we a have moment. To, just just like... a moment for the Trump mug shot. Do you think he's in the tanning bed right now? Oh, I mean, I'm sure he's. I'm, I'm sure he's fluffing up those plugs, getting ready. <laughs> I just got a go- uh, like goosebumps when you were bringing up. Yeah, it just really does feel like 
like Avengers Infinity War, like a reboot of a 90, like mm. just all the characters coming back for one more <laughs> hoorah, like a Christmas special of a canceled show. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just feels like, wow, like people, because, you know, we have new, we have new stars. We have Marjorie Taylor Greene. We have Matt Gates and whatever he's doing with 17-year-olds. We have Ron These DeSantis. These are 2016 storylines. Yeah, I know. So like to have this like canceled show with people who, you know, have have been getting divorced and been in jail and all this shit to come back one more time to get the gang back together in jail. I mean, it's just really like the, the merch sells itself. Yeah. Yeah. I, it is interesting. I love it. I love it. <laughs> We're just all looking at Millie Tamara's favorite moment of the past six years, which is when Donald Trump tweeted, if anyone is looking for a good lawyer, I would strongly suggest that you don't retain the services of Michael Cohen. One of his best tweets. Honestly. I mean, really it's there. really up there August with the 2016. Elon, Elon truth. I, well, you said Trump truth. And I was like, wow. <laughs> Instead of tweeting, it's the truth. The truth. I'm just, it's so wild to me that this would be the thing that would get him. Like, I never would have imagined that it was going to be the Stormy Daniels yeah. payment. It's very mob-like. It's very Al Capone on you know, Rico charges. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, rem I always remember like Michael Cohen's whole being like, Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump, like the very like mob, mob level, like way he talked about him. But yeah, I mean, Michael Cohen did serve jail time. Years, I think, like yeah. two years or something. He went to jail for this. So it is, it, it kind of does make sense that it's like, okay, as much as Trump would like to pretend Michael Cohen made this $130,000 payment just kind of of his own volition, mm -hmm. that's clearly not the case. Um, I don't think I would have had my money on it being the Stormy Daniels I payment. know, because truly, there is so much more fraud. I mean, again, insurrection. the insurrection was crazy. Defrauding cancer fucking patients. You know, I mean, really, there's a, there's a whole thing. I think it's so interesting that this is also happening in the same time. I, over the weekend, I, I sent you guys a, a tweet about Trump calling out Ron DeSantis for donating, you know, like kind mm -hmm. of similar, not similar activity as this, but basically the 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 argument between Ron DeSantis and Trump right now is that DeSantis isn't formally announcing that he's running. So his campaign financing um, mm -hmm. issues or, you know, he's not getting the same scrutiny that Trump is getting or whatever because he hasn't officially. But he is you know, doing raising money, doing fundraisers, but because he hasn't formally announced, none of that has to be reported or anything. So Trump uh, got really upset at Ron DeSantis and is like, I know that you're sending money to Babylon B, which Babylon B is like. <laughs> well, now we know who opens my tweets. Cause I saw it. I, saw I know it. you I didn't realize he was, didn't... he was sending money to the Babylon, Babylon B. B. <laughs> he was, yeah, because basically to write pro Ron DeSantis spawn on Babylon B, which if you don't know what Babylon Why isn't B is. anyone, okay, Democratic Congress people, if you're listening, pay, give us money and we will write flattering coverage of you. Yeah, because um, Babylon B, first of all, Babylon B is like the onion for unfunny. Like it's unfunny. First, you can pay to sub. Like the onion vets their contributors. I like work with the onion. It's a really difficult process, and then you get paid when you get a headline. You can pay. Anybody can pay money and contribute a headline to Babylon B. That's hilarious. And it's like super Republican and bad. And it's how like ninety percent of the jokes on the Babylon B is like. 
liberal identifies pronouns are toaster or whatever you know yeah. stupid stupid shit so the fact that Ron DeSantis has been donating money that's what Trump was really upset about and it's so funny that in that same weekend or that same week it's like well I'm going to jail for misusing campaign you better financing. play by the rules yeah you better play by the rules I'm about to go to fucking jail get fucking fingerprinted and you're out here doing SpawnCon for Babylon B to make <laughs> the most unfunny headlines I get into our arguments a lot with those people because they the headlines are just not a joke like it's not par like but they anyway. think of them they fancy themselves as like a conservative onion yeah they fancy that's what they think that they are it used to be you know i had to be like it used to be but it used to yeah, have yeah. more nuanced takes about like you know youth pastors and like kind of like christian like youth culture and all that stuff and then it just really went and then you know that it's bad because Elon Musk loves that site and like yeah, mm. funds them that. and like retweets them all the time and he thinks it's like the funniest thing ever. But yeah. the fact that Donald Trump called him out for donating money to Babylon, Babylon B. B. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, I, I wonder if Ron DeSantis will be using that mugshot. I mean, who knows? It feels great that a Trump arrest might be imminent. The DA's office has, they threw away, this DA like threw away one of the cases and then remember two of the lawyers like quit and then we're like, we had a case there. So I think that Alvin Bragg is probably being pretty strategic and it's like, like we said, Trump has done so much illegal shit, proving somebody like the elite, which one is most provable is maybe not the most gratifying and obviously like the people investigating him for January 6th, that's that's political, that's involved with like what the House is doing right now. Um, but I don't know, just, just thinking about some Donald Trump arrest fan fiction, what 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 images are you most looking forward to? I, I I mean we were we were talking about just throwing a party with popcorn. Yeah, <laughs> selling popcorn. I said we should sell popcorn, have a twerk off, <laughs> um, definitely get his mugshot on some shirts. Yeah, well there here I at the Betsy's office, now, yeah. a little a little peek behind the curtain is there is a wall of famous mugshots of reality television personalities, and Donald Trump is first and foremost a reality television personality, so it wouldn't even go against. It would, not. it would not go against the previous pattern of for the wall of mugshots here at Betches for his to be included. Um, I mean, I've Get always right hoped for a that. Donald Trump perp walk, but it seems like that's what they're kind of maybe trying to avoid doing. And perp walk is hands cuffed Hand behind him. Yeah, yeah, he's walking there into the courtroom. There was a fake one going around this morning. Yeah. Ugh, I wish. Oh, but um, it's interesting because I'm like, on the one hand, I'm like, okay, well, why would he say this if he didn't actually think he was going to be arrested tomorrow or this week? But then on the other hand, I'm like, I don't really trust the source here. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this well, is not someone who's known. Truth social, at least. So it was most, truthed. Yeah, it was truth. So <laughs> I think I think he's a little scared. I think he's scared and he wants, when he's nervous and he's like, the walls are closing in on him and all this shit. The walls are closing in on him. Thank God. Um, but the walls are closing in and, you know, he has this competitor who's shitty and is popular and is not as sloppy as him and is getting the most heinous, terrible things done. Um <laughs> The, you know, again, trying to ban black fraternities in Florida. Yeah. And then he ha he's finally going to jail. Um, today, actually, I don't know if you know this, it's Baron Trump's birthday. Who is? It's Baron's Baron birthday Trump. today. Yeah, he's turned 17. Damn. I don't think Trump knows that. Well, no, I'm sure he does But it's just like, yeah, like. He turns you know, 18? 17. Oh. Um, but it's like the walls are closing in. He has his competitor. He fucking lost. He's like dealing with this shit. He wants probably supporters there. Like, he wants to know he's still the man. But that's what I'm thinking is that, like, if if he's like, everybody come out and support me, and it's kind of like, meh, 
I think that'll be really interesting to sort of see like he got thousands of people. I think it was thousands to storm the Capitol. And yeah, how many yeah. people is he going to get to lower Manhattan? Like you said, it. I don't know. Well, you know, as someone who promotes comedy shows, yeah. uh, it's, you know, there was a big lead up to January 6th. He was doing a lot of flyers, yeah, a lot of promotions. He got a lot of really good uh, other guest stars on That's the true. show that have also their own social yeah. following. He was in Time they Out New posting. York. They were in Time Out <laughs> Time New out York. DC. There was um, a, yeah, relevancy. Uh, he did the right press. This one is this last minute uh, downtown Manhattan. I mean... Again, it's a week. It's a week on a Tuesday. On a yeah. Tuesday, you know, people don't really like Ari to come Shapiro's out. Ari Shapiro's book is coming out. Yeah, which we'll discuss. yeah. You know, I just I feel like uh, last minute shows on Tuesdays they don't do as well. Right? It's tough. It's tough to pull a crowd in the post pandemic environment. It's harder to pull a crowd. Mm-hmm. I found as a show promoter as well, and especially last minute, I think it's difficult. I don't love the idea of a bunch of pro-Trump people descending upon the city. So no. I hope that he's yeah. not successful. I think it's very interesting. Like. If this actually does come to pass this week, it, it's the best news in the world for Ron DeSantis because I think that Ron DeSantis's best path of like critiquing Trump without totally disavowing him is to say uh, he's too bogged down in all these investigations. He is, you know, it's he's a victim of a partisan legal attack, but he's not the best candidate for that reason. Meanwhile, no one's mad at me for giving money to the Babylon Bee except for him. So, well, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. interesting, 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 we, interesting. We will be we will be waiting with bated breath. It's certainly a time where, uh, you know, we could have we could have done with daily podcasts, but we'll be back on Thursday to react. And if there's enough to react to, we'll we'll get some people on the mic for an emergency episode and try to. But uh, in a moment, we'll be back with a very special guest who's going to join us for the rest of the episode. It's not just an interview, but he's going to talk to us about uh, some other news headlines. We'll be right back. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. 
Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are for dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. We are back, and now we are joined by Ari Shapiro, who does everything you can imagine, but to narrow that down just a bit, he is a longtime reporter at NPR who has covered the Justice Department, the White House, and most international conflicts of the last decade. He now co-hosts All Things Considered, and this week he publishes the memoir, The Best Strangers in the World, which details his career in journalism, his prolific side hustle as a stage performer, and his countless other iterations. Happy public, and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I feel like this microphone that you're on, as soon as you leave, we're going to encase it. Yes. <laughs> it's going to be the Ari Shapiro microphone. Look, this is a more beautiful recording studio than I am accustomed to. Wow. This is like elevated beyond mm-hmm. the public radio standard. Mm-hmm. I feel like I am driving the Lamborghini Tesla fill in the blank of podcast setups. Well, when you're so. talking about the Real Housewives, you've got to have a good mic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to do it in an elegant surrounding. Uh, for yeah, sure. that's so funny you said elegant Lamborghini because I am thinking of like L Woods kind of <laughs> podcast. I studio. could, I could see a, a purse-sized dog in here. Yes. I would fit with the decor for sure. Well, I Absolutely. feel like, do we all have purse-sized dogs, the three of us? The three of us do all have purse-sized dogs. dogs. So I think maybe my... Rusty's more of like a tote. Well, definitely like a Teflon. <laughs> we at Public large. Radio love totes. Yes. So okay. we're all about the tote bag. Naturally, yes. I, I have two yeah. large dogs. Oh, you do? Wow. Yeah, pointers, old pointers. Oh, wow. So sweet. Droopy so faces. Sweet. I did relate to you most in your book because I'm also really uh, married to a lawyer named Mike. No way. <laughs> yes. yes. Oh okay, here's something I did not put in the book. My husband, Mike Gottlieb, when he took the job in the White House Counsel's Office during the Obama administration as a lawyer, took the job from somebody leaving who was also named Mike Gottlieb. And so the only way in the White House, the only way they could distinguish between the two Mike Gottliebs was the straight one and the gay one. Yeah. It's true. true. It's okay to be, it's the gay Mike. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. The gay one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought you were going to say, I didn't put this in my book, but my husband's gay. (laughs) You can read between the lines. Yeah, you know what? This is what we do. We do Atlanta, (laughs) Atlanta, you know, people love labels. Yes, yes. So, you know, I, I would love to start with a pretty serious burning question that oh, I have had okay. since reading the account of your war reporting specifically. And that is, do you still use the same Kiehl's avocado under eye cream you brought to Afghanistan oh. in 2005? I had to I had used it for years mm-hmm. and years and years and had to stop because suddenly I was having some kind of reaction to it. <gasps> I So, OK, when Probably I was ingredient 20, I had a roommate who was like 10 years older than I am and looked totally ageless. And at some point I said, what's your secret? And he said, apply facial moisturizer every day of your life. And since then, I have. That is just a yeah. that's great. Like men's skincare tip. Just apply facial moisturizer. I got to watch five-minute TikToks. <laughs> wow. They're like, did you slug? Are you a slug yet? Well, I don't even know what that is. Slugging is when you cover your face with Aquaphor at the end of your routine to like literally lock it in. Yeah, yeah. I actually oh. did try it. And I didn't really notice any personal changes. Like, it didn't make my skin better or worse. Yeah, I felt from pillows. slugging. My question for you is... Do you, where do you stand? I'm going to, we're going to hold you down to this. Where do you stand on the eye cream debate that rages on, which is that some people think that eye cream is not real and doesn't work. That's a better question. And that it's just, uh, 
It's just like expensive moisturizer in a smaller bottle. As a journalist, I feel like to express my public opinion on this would compromise my objectivity oh, and God. be a violation of the NPR Side ethics eye. code. Oh, and God. therefore, I have to politely decline to <laughs> answer. Not that really wants to be in conflict. Yeah, right. He's doing spot cream. tomorrow for fucking eye cream. Yes. The book tour is launched by Kiehl's. Now we know. Mm. But you know, I, I want to start with that question because I think it really does just sort of like exhibit the range in this book. Like I was, I was, <laughs> Texting. I'm going to a war zone with yes, Obama yes. and also talking about Kiel's yes, avocado exactly. under eye cream. I was texting. I was like, this is a journalism memoir for the girls and the gays. And yeah. I loved every minute of it. I uh, am not supposed to read what but, people yeah. say on Goodreads, but I can't oh, help myself. On. And I enjoy identifying what would be the pull quotes from the ridiculous reviews. And one of them was <laughs> a good mix of ego and insecurity. And I feel like if... I could put that on the cover of this mm -hmm. book. It might sell a few copies. Mm -hmm. Well, also, that just makes a good a, entertainer, good journalist. Exactly. Okay, but the truth the is, like, yeah. part of what I wanted to do when I wrote this book was dismantle the perception of, like, the person who never makes mistakes, who's on the air, who's on the front lines of covering the war and interviewing the president, because every successful person has had so many failures along the way. Mm. Every appearance of, you know, infallibility mm. has comes after a history. Like, I got rejected for an NPR internship. Mm. And I think it's important for people to yeah. know that when they're feeling like rejects, you know? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. even the most successful people have had moments of disaster, of crisis, of making the wrong choice, of doing a stupid thing. And so this book includes that as well as, like, singing at the Hollywood Bowl in right. front of thousands of people. Yeah. Flex. Mm -hmm. Flex. I mean, Flex it's in the us. book. Yeah. Well, the book covers your, your life and your career from your first internship for Nina Totenberg, which, Stan... Incredible. Are you? I'm she sure you guys is, are still friends. And, absolutely. Yeah. She's a legend. I love her so much. She is still a role model, and I've learned so much from her. Yeah. Yeah, iconic. iconic. And of course, to your cabaret show with Alan Cumming. What mm -hmm. I loved about it personally was that, you know, you really take us along with you to revisit the last decade of like national and international news, which you punctuate that with personal interactions that kind of, and you explain how that deepened your experience of the event. And for me, it was kind of different than your typical journalist memoir in a lot of ways. I find myself just processing these events more fully because of your detail. Thank you. Tell us how you kind of approach telling this story, how you approach the timeline. I've always felt like the best way to tell a big story is by telling a small story. And that's true in the news. You know, if you're covering the Syrian refugee crisis, I think the best way to do it is tell in detail the story of one person going through that experience. Mm. And in my journalism, the way I tell those stories is by pointing the microphone out at someone else. And in writing this book for the first time, I kind of wanted to turn it back on myself. Mm -hmm. And I went back and revisited those experiences and excavated what it meant to me, which yeah. feels like as a journalist, sometimes we put ourselves in a box when we go out to cover a story because it's never supposed to be about us. And I wanted to open the box. And what I found was that there are stories that have shaped the person I am and made me a different human being. And then there are also ways in which the person I am and the history and identity that I bring to my work has shaped the stories that I tell. Hmm. The part about that that really affected me that I hadn't thought about before was you you, you talk about covering 9-11, which happened mm -hmm. pretty early in your career. And like you talk about- Like the most junior person in the newsroom. That's unbelievable. Can you just sort of like set, set the scene of that day? Yeah. Um, I was working the overnight shift on Morning wow. Edition. Morning Edition is the morning news show on NPR. And my workday was 1 a.m. to 9 a.m. The show went on the air live at 5 in the morning. And, you know, as an editorial assistant, I was supposed to book interviews and- write suggested questions for the host and do background research and things like that. And that day, I remember 
I was tired. It was the middle of the night. I was hoping I could leave a little bit early. And around eight o'clock, it was sort of like everybody was suddenly clustered around the TVs trying to figure out what was going on because mm -hmm. smoke was coming out of one of the towers. And um, I stayed that day until noon calling people who were in the towers or then in the neighborhood and asking them to go on the air live and describe what was happening that day. That night, I came back at nine and worked till 12 the next day. And and even though I was sort of the most junior person in the newsroom, I felt like I was helping to shape the understanding of what was going on. And I really vividly remember the host of Morning Edition, who at that time was named Bob Edwards, saying, a lot of people right now are wondering what they can do and how they can be useful and what role they can play. And we're lucky that as journalists, we know what our role is. We know what job we are here to do, and that is to tell the story. And almost 20 years later, when I was a host of All Things Considered, and we were all panicking as the world was shutting down in the coronavirus pandemic, I, as now like the host of the other flagship NPR show, told that story to the junior staffers on All Things Considered, who I'm sure, much like I was on 9-11, were thinking, oh my God, what am I doing here? What am I supposed to be doing? And the, and the fact that as a journalist, you know what you're supposed to be doing gives you a sense, gave me a sense anyway, of sort of grounding and purpose that I find really valuable. Yeah. And sometimes I find, you know, like after you identify that purpose, you can kind of be like, well, why me? Am I equipped? But there's a beautiful, you know, anecdote that you share about how writing some of the, you wrote some of the obituaries. And at that mm -hmm. point, it, it actually still wasn't common yet to refer to gay couples who had adopted children as families. And your ability to be in that moment and identify that as a story that needed to be told was super important. And kind of, you, you know, you speak about occasions like that throughout, throughout the book, and it's so important for young people who want to tell those stories to hear. And I think that's part of the acknowledgement that we carry our identities with us. And we, um, are not compromising our objectivity by letting that inform the work that we do. We are providing a more thorough understanding of the world that we all live in together. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to kind of pivot to some of your performance. You've you've toured the world singing for the band Pink Martini and put on solo and joint performances with really big names. And you talk about being recognized fairly frequently just from your voice on the radio. But I was I kept thinking as I was reading if, you know, do you think you might have been more self-conscious in these more visible endeavors had you been like an on-air reporter versus on the radio? Or is it just natural to you anyway? Oh, absolutely. I, I am so thankful that I'm on the radio yeah. and not on television. Same. <laughs> Same. I can fall asleep on an airplane and drool on my shirt and no Nobody one's going to take a photo of me. <laughs> me and post it on Twitter. And, <laughs> and and so I think NPR sort of helped me figure out how to use my voice, how to tell a story, how to connect in, with an audience in a way that then I was able to translate to the performances that I do. And the performances are very different, but they're still a form of storytelling. They're still a form of connection. They're still, um, you know, a different set of muscles doing exercises I'm stretching a metaphor here, but you know what I'm trying <laughs> yeah. to say. They yeah. seem more different than they are. Yeah, I mean, Elise yeah. and Millie are both performers. You both yes. stand up and you both. Yeah. So I wonder if you related at to that coming. at all. Club coming. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're both, club coming. What an amazing place. The There's best, nowhere in New York like it. Yeah, like one of the best venues in the city. Anyone who's listening who comes into New York should definitely just like go to club coming and see what they have. Yes, because it might be night. knitting or it might be yeah. sketching or it might be stand up or jazz or show tunes or literally burlesque. Yeah, anything. or the wildest drag you've seen and you're like yeah. just the most yeah. fun and all are welcome there mm -hmm. truly knitting i one time my friend was like at a knitting thing and i was like i'm doing a comedy thing after and then after <laughs> me was a naked comedy show where all the performers were so and wow. it feels like mm -hmm. a perfect 
to me, uh, interpretation of what Alan's personality is, yes. which is to say he can do Shakespeare and he can do Spice World and he is equally committed to <laughs> both of those projects. Absolutely. I, I was just thinking that I think the last show I did at Club Coming, I went up after someone who truly just sang the most beautiful opera. And I was <laughs> wow. like, we're, we're, sh we're shifting gears. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, that's always my um, my thing is like, People see me at Club Coming when I do variety shows and they're like, this bitch is about to sing. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no I'm not. No. I know I'm a fat black woman in an eccentric outfit, but please <laughs> manage your expectations because I can't sing nothing higher than Drake. So many people who started at Club Coming now have like specials on Netflix, Showtime. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yes. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Mm, love that. Place. Yes. Yes. Memoirs. So I have another question, person. You know, your your marriage comes pretty early in the book. Mm -hmm. You married your college boyfriend. Came and, pretty early in my life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, your book obviously goes on to detail how much you've lived and grown in the many years. And a lot of that, like, on your own and obviously with your partner. But I kind of want to know, like, what's your key to a happy long-term relationship when both partners are very busy and engaged? How mm. do you cultivate a long-term committed partnership while pursuing such, like, rigorous self-actualization. That's what I just kept thinking as mm. a recently married person. Yeah. Just, like, how rich your life is with your partner and on your own. Like, I don't know. What relationship advice do you have? How you do know, you do that? I've, there are so many different answers I could give. One is communication. I think talking about the difficult things before they become unmanageable is challenging, but not as challenging as waiting and not talking about them. And so very early on, I think we learned how to fight. We learned mm. how to disagree in a productive way. But more than that, I think Mike and I have a relationship where we both derive great happiness from each other without depending on each other hmm. for our happiness. And so he likes to use the metaphor, we've each officiated weddings, and whenever he does a wedding, he uses a metaphor of a compass where like one point is fixed and the other one sort of orbits around it, and then the other one can be fixed, and, and which is a nice metaphor. But I think, I, I always, I always, Remember, like, it's easy to find somebody to have a crush on. It's easy to find somebody you're attracted to. It's really, really hard to find somebody who you actually want to talk to every day, who you want to look at every day, who you want to interact with every day. And if you can find that, that is gold. That is so precious and rare. Just the fact that, like, I still want to be around him and want to tell him about what happened in my day is incredible. I feel unbelievably lucky. I mean, we met in college and it's been more than 20 years. Yeah. 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 So, okay. You met your husband in college. You came out in high school mm -hmm. in Oregon. And one of the things mentioned in the book is that at this time, the state was considering a few different ballot measures that demonized gay people. Yeah. What was it like to be a teenager whose identity was at the center of a really divisive political issue? It was crazy because before I came out, there were all of these debates over Measure 9, it was called. And so everybody in my school took sides and they wore pins and they, you know, expressed their point of view very strongly, even though most of them had never knowingly met a gay person. So then I come out of the closet and suddenly all of the abstract arguments that everybody had been having had an object of mm -hmm. focus mm. and that object of focus was me. Mm. And so I just thought, you know what? I'm going to drown out this whisper campaign with a bullhorn. I plastered my locker with photos of mostly naked men. <laughs> I wore drag to school for Halloween. Mm. I put a pink triangle pin on my backpack. And look, the truth is I've never shied away from attention. And so not all of that was a pleasant experience. I carried mace, but, um, I felt like I was able to help people better understand 
what until then had just been a two-dimensional concept in their mind. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe they thought they hated all gay people, but maybe they just really hated Ari. Exactly. <laughs> so then exactly. the pitch sh shifted from measure nine to we just hate Ari. We just don't like Ari. <laughs> it's just annoying. He's yeah. just obnoxious. He's just annoying. And that is what really gay rights is all about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's being right able to hate wrongs. just one person instead of a whole. And not extrapolating it yeah. onto everybody yeah. else. It's like, oh, I actually do want gay people to be married. Just not just that. Not that one because he's a. <laughs> um, but what I realize is that like that experience I had as the only gay kid in my high school was a version of what I now get to do as a journalist where I go to people and I say like, hey, this seems really foreign and scary and strange mm. and unfamiliar. And I'm going to help you see that it's actually much more um, something you can empathize with than you might actually than you might initially assume. We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's Newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com. Newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. Bringing some of that 
to today and what's going on today. Like, how does that personal experience of your coming out in high school impact your reaction to the headlines we're seeing right now, which, uh, you know, we've got elected leaders using really charged language around the LGBT community and in particularly in particular around children. Yeah. And also particularly around trans people. Yes. I mean, like the word groomer was everywhere in the 90s when I was in high school. And the fact that it's being used again today is just so disappointing to me. But at the same time, I realize when you learn gay history and queer people have to go seek out gay history because mm -hmm. our parents, you know, for the most part, generally are not queer themselves. We're certainly not taught it in school. It's like illegal in Florida. <laughs> but when you find those books, when you find those stories, when you find the elders to talk to, because, you know, there are still queer elders all around us, mm -hmm. you learn that throughout the decades, the centuries, queer people have consistently been oppressed and consistently found ways not only to survive, but to thrive and mm. to flourish. And so I think the perspective that we get from talking to our elders is that, yes, this is difficult. Yes, this is challenging. Yes, this may be unfair, but this is not new. And it is something that tools have been developed to mm. flourish in spite of. Yeah, I was just listening to Jinx Monsoon on a mm -hmm. podcast um, talking about how- Another Portlander, by the yeah, way. Uh, oh, <laughs> I didn't even know that. Uh, in Chicago now. But mm -hmm. The <laughs> show, Chicago, not the city. <laughs> exactly, Chicago in New York. Um, but they were talking about like that word groomer specifically is now kind of the right way to- use a slur without using it. Like they're yeah. trying to bring it back because yeah. there are certain things you can't say about trans people publicly or gay people publicly, but you can, uh, it's apparently okay to suggest that they're pedophiles or groomers or yeah, whatever. Say, same way like thug is for black people, you know, mm -hmm. it's like they're not gonna say the N word anymore. Cause mm -hmm. I mean, probably not publicly, but um, you know, they just say thug all the time, you know, same that, thing. The ballot measure when I was in high school, measure nine in Oregon, would have prohibited the state government from encouraging homosexuality, pedophilia, sadism, bestiality, necrophilia, there was a long list. But that combination of homosexuality and pedophilia, like if you're queer, therefore you must be a groomer, a predator, a choose your word, is as old as time. And mm -hmm. so when I hear that language being used today, I just think this is not new. Yeah, it's it, it really, I, as, as a kid myself, I feel like the issue of gay marriage, the issue of the gay marriage and the Iraq war were the two things that I remember sparking my political consciousness mm -hmm. as a teenager. Mm -hmm. And I, I grew up in Virginia. I remember a similar ballot measure. I'm trying to remember if it was, it was to, make it illegal in the state for mm. gay people to be married. And I remember that being, as you talking about like both sides of the high school, taking sides and people having these really spirited debates around it. I remember that being kind of my first political issue that I thought like, I was like, no, I have a strong thought about well, what is right and wrong here. And when it came to the debate over same-sex marriage, which, you know, my husband and I got married in 2004, kind of the leading edge of that. And I have a whole story in the book about it, but the, um, what seemed so wild to me was that my entire childhood, I had been told, oh, you know, gay people spread AIDS, they sleep with too many, they can't settle down, they are too promiscuous. And then it's like, okay, so we wanna get married. 
and like, you know, make a life together and have, well, we don't have kids, but you know, people mm -hmm. want to like conform to this institution of stability and security and this very sort of like conservative idea of marriage. And then the same people who were saying we couldn't settle down were telling us, no, you can't get married either. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, choose, pick, pick a path, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, which one is it? You wouldn't exist, right? And right. that's like, that's kind of the, the crux of it. But like, you know, nothing would fun would ever happen. If <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, yeah, exactly. They don't really want, they don't really have a solution. And it's not, you know, they just don't want, <clears throat> they say the kids and they say, like, oh, trans people and drag and this and that. But, like, they really just don't want to exist. And they, like, are trying to find loopholes and shit. But it's just, like, already they've lost the culture. Like, all the culture wars they start has already been lost, you know? And it's, like, they're not going to exist. There are a lot of passing in a lot of states right now. Uh, yeah. Well, yes, yes, yes. Well. Okay, so speaking, kind of going back to some of these early political issues of mine to mm -hmm. end the world. Uh, today is the 20th anniversary of the American invasion of Iraq. Yeah. You covered the war. You were there. Were, who are you thinking about today? Kind of two decades after the invasion, yeah. where where is your memory going? So well, I only became a foreign correspondent mm -hmm. years later, but okay. I was like, you know, doing entry level newsroom work and uh, boy, I remember um, my colleague, uh, Annie Garrels, who was like one of the few people who stayed there during the invasion, who um, covered the assault and wrote a book called Naked in Baghdad because she would report from her hotel room totally naked so that if the authorities knocked on her hotel room door, she could say, I'm naked, I need to put on my clothes. And then she could hide her recording equipment before wow. they came in. Wow. But I'm also thinking about a, a really good friend of mine named Ahmed Bader who um, is just like incredible um, author, poet, public speaker, activist, whose family was from Iraq. And after the US invasion, their home was destroyed by an American um, bomb. And so they had to flee to Syria. Uh, and they eventually came to the US as refugees where he has become this person who I admire, even though allegedly he thinks of me as his mentor. Um, and I think of the, you know, I said you tell a big story by telling a small mm -hmm. story, the millions of lives that were uprooted, the millions of lives that were cut short, the millions of individual people who had no particular role in the government or the institutions that were determining their fate, but whose lives were put on completely different trajectories or even cut short by these decisions that were made. And in Ahmed's family's case, it ended up really well. You know, they settled in Texas and he and his sister are flourishing and have these extraordinary lives. And there are so many more stories of those whose, whose lives did not take that path. Yeah. yeah, I think it's it's just really important to remember because I do feel like sometimes it feels very far away, mm -hmm. even though it was such, I mean, so many people lost their lives, lives were unrooted. It was, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan are the longest wars we've been in. But I, there is this disconnect that I feel like from today to the Iraq war that's really interesting to me because it was like enormous thing to have happen. And then now today it feels really far in yeah. the past when it's not really. And, you know, I always sort of go first to telling human stories, mm. but I also think you have to, 
learn some big lessons about how does the United States use American power? Mm. And how do you get out of something once you've gotten into it? And when we look today at whether it's Ukraine or Yemen or uh, the Horn of Africa or, you know, what will the United States do and how can we do good rather than create harm? And yeah. it's a complicated question yeah. and one that people can disagree on. But I think we have to learn some kind of lessons from these experiences. Otherwise, we'll just repeat them again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a dramatic shift. Yeah, like, <laughs> well, like, and now to, our, to Millie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we our vegetables. Now we're going to have dessert <sighs> with, <Enough>. some, <laughs> with some rapid fire Glad questions. To change the thing. Let's do that. <laughs> Let's do the real hard hitting questions that affect mm. everyone's daily lives. Okay. Rapid fire. Oh, yeah. Are you can ready? I get a drink of water yes, before yes. rapid fire? Oh, okay. By rapid fire, we mean you can you can elaborate in two to three sentences. No problem. <laughs> no, no, no. Rapid fire. Can I just tell you, there used to be a rapid fire section with the show that I do with Alan Cumming. Yeah. And oh, God. His stories became so long and delightful, but long, that we changed it from rapid fire. We renamed that section of the show. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is not rapid, nor is it a fire. Yes. Let's, yes. let's rebrand slow this. Burn. Ambling fire. Yeah, Ambling slow burning, fire. wildlife, wild mm. <laughs> wilderness fire. Um, what's your go-to karaoke song? It's so boring, but it's um, Moon River. Oh, Ooh, that's When do you good, pull though. that out in the night? Like, I don't I don't do a lot of karaoke. Yeah. I feel like I am given opportunities to perform um, enough. You're never that like, I just want to get on the mic. I'm, I'm not like elbowing people yeah. aside in the karaoke bar. But at some point, if somebody's Flex. like, and here's the thing for me about Moon. If I'm in a karaoke bar, chances are I've been shouting and I've been drinking mm-hmm. and I'm not going to try to sing a song that requires any skill or talent. Mm-hmm. And Moon River just lets everybody chill out for a bit. Yeah. 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 Fun, fun, fun. Who's the most famous person you've ever cooked for? Ooh, well, I mean, first that comes to mind is Nina Totenberg, but yeah. um, uh, <laughs> I'm, can I just say Nina Totenberg? Yeah, yeah. She's pretty Absolutely. famous. Yeah, Nina That's, Totenberg. She's yeah. famous yeah. with our audience. Okay, great. Definitely. What'd you make? Oh, well, I tell this story yeah. in the book, actually. Yeah. Um, I, right at the end of my internship, I, she, so I was looking for a job, and she said, tell you what, why don't I have you throw a dinner party at my house and I will put together the guest list of people who could conceivably hire you for a job. And so she invited like a member of Congress and a former deputy attorney general, like VIPs of Washington, DC. And so I was a little bit nervous to say the least. I made salmon Wellington, like salmon wrapped in puff pastry with mushrooms and tarragon sauce and (gasps) whatever. Yeah, I did like all that. It was a whole thing, but that was the main dish. You said in the book that they were too big. Since I have the privilege of you being here, will you show like how how big was the salmon? That's a big say So, you know, like I'd say generally if you're serving salmon, like six to eight ounces per person Mm -hmm. feels about right. But if you're serving salmon with mushrooms, and puff pastry, et cetera, et cetera, you're probably gonna wanna go four yeah, to six, eight ounces. Yeah. Four to six ounces, yeah. and I might have gone eight plus. Wow. So, and oh, then wow. you're serving each individual puff pastry. Yeah. So, so that's that's I a know. big swing. And it's not like you can say, I'm gonna just take a smaller slice. Oh, that's the other thing. You can't taste it's like it. You cut open that puff pastry. Is it raw inside? Is it overcooked yeah, inside? No, that was a big like, swing. And that I was also, a big swing. I'm also yeah. not good at baking. And for dessert, I made um, chocolate cherry shortcake with biscuits that I made myself. Mm. So like it was, oh. 
And if that I, was the biggest stress just thinking about did it. Did you get a job that night? Nope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. No, did not. Then you wouldn't have ended here at Betches. <laughs> yes. Talking about. Answering the question. Ask, answering the hard-hitting questions. Mm. Next question. What is the best female vocal performance of all time? Objectively. Objectively. Objectively, <laughs> it has to, I mean, like, this is not an interesting answer, but it's Beyonce at Coachella. Mm. Like, I feel like that's the cliche answer. Mm-hmm. That's the, like, Coca-Cola answer. Mm-hmm. But is there so any better answer? To end, no. Not just, yeah. like, a riff Oh, no, no. I'm thinking, like, yeah. you know, anyone can have a moment right. of genius. Mm-hmm. Yes. To have a full set like that yeah. that you want to watch over and over and yeah. over again that is that flawless that she did on more than one night and then spliced together yeah. for a Netflix special. Yeah. I'm sorry. I will... I, yeah. I I will take any criticism for that not being creative, but I will not take anyone saying there was a better female vocal performance. Right, because no. even the Whitney national anthem was one song, one, song. one and done. I, this look, is sustained. Whitney is legendary. Yeah. That performance was legendary. But the Coachella set, I mean, there were there were horn. There's a horn section, a string section. Uh, the dancing outfit, outfit changes I, uh, right the remix i mean there was yeah. a thematic cohesive through line and yet she still managed to do all the hits yeah it was like a new piece that also gave everybody the hits they were craving yeah yes did you get renaissance tour tickets I don't want to talk about okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Let well, it be known. Ari thing. is crying. Yes. <laughs> we managed, only we the the table, <laughs> today. Unfortunately, the Renaissance tour, we will not be, will not be hitting on. Yeah. We've discussed we'll two tragedies in this conversation. <laughs> the 20th anniversary of the Rock War and Ari's and experience exactly. trying to get Renaissance. Yes. There's your answer. Okay. Next question. What's the most interesting thing you ever saw Obama do? I have written weirdest, but I thought maybe you might <laughs> Reveal that. Well, you know, memorable. I, so I didn't. This is a great story that somebody else told me, but I didn't see him do it. Mm. Can I tell yes, you about please. that? Okay, so we love um, third hand. Yeah, I. I, in 2012, I was assigned to cover the Romney campaign, and at some point, my editor had a really cool idea that I should go spend time at Harvard Law School, reporting two stories: one about Romney's time at Harvard Law, and one about Obama's time at Harvard Law. And, you know, he had already been in office for four years at that point, and yet I found all these stories that had not been reported before. And one of them that I thought was just hilarious is I talked to one of his former classmates who said, you know, he's a well-known basketball player, and his classmate said that when he was in college, he was always, like, throwing elbows and talking (laughs) smack, and he was just, like, not, you know, playing clean. Except for one time, their team played a team from the local prison, that were all like guys who'd been sentenced <laughs> to years for murder yeah. and yeah. other serious crimes. And he said he was like the most like introverted by the book, no elbows, no swear words, just like for uh, that game. Yeah. That's he was, chilling. yeah, a church boy. Honestly, yeah. I get that. You know, yeah. I, I can be sometimes at the Trader Joe's or at Whole Foods, <laughs> I get real, you know, somebody cuts me some, you know, I'll, I'll go You'll there. throw but an if elbow. I go, if I'm in Bed-Stuy or Bushwick at the food bazaar, <laughs> someone cuts me, that ain't none of my business. Mm-hmm. You can go ahead and do what you do. You take care. Self-preservation. You know, yeah. listen, yeah. you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. yeah. Hey, he's a smart man. <laughs> he's a smart Pardon. man. That's you right. got to know. Listen, <laughs> and that is one of the best uh, aspects of his presidency is you got to know when to be big and bold and you got to know when to keep it cute. And <laughs> Keep it cute, keep it tight. Or do both with a tan suit. And do both with a tan suit. Finally, in the most challenging question you will probably Mm. receive in any of your interviews, created 
by me. <laughs> um, what is your favorite Jennifer Lopez movie? Okay, this is the opposite of my Beyonce answer because this is a deep cut. <laughs> okay. And I don't even know if any of you have seen it. Okay. I saw it in a movie theater and it was very early mm-hmm. in her career as an actress when the narrative was, well, she can record a good single, but she can't make a good movie. And I went and I saw The Cell. Yes. Oh, The Cell. With, the well, cell. well, personally, something about Millie that I don't know a lot of people know. <laughs> have a huge crush on Vincent D'Onofrio. Uh, not in that movie, obviously. He plays a like crazy psych- serial, killer. Ser- serial killer and she goes into his brain. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like fantastical and Yeah, weird. it's crazy like all Costumes. Kind- yeah. And now look, I haven't seen the movie for 20 mm-hmm. years, but I remember walking out of that theater mind blown mm-hmm. thinking, I don't know what these people are saying about J-Lo as an actress because I think she was amazing. Oh, I think right. that movie was amazing. Yeah. I have to give a disclaimer that I may tonight rewatch that movie and think, oh my God, what was I thinking? This is terrible. But in my mind, mm-hmm. it was it was an experience. Wow. The wow. movie might not hold up, but I've st- I think that she did get good reviews on her performance. I loved it. Um, I personally thought you were going to say, because my favorite J-Lo movie is what? Enough. I so, love enough. Yeah. So when you were saying all of that, I was like, he's, he's going to talk about enough. How uh, she so. learned Krav Maga just to beat the shit out of. Okay, wait, but wait, spoiler alert. Okay, so has, <laughs> first did any of the three of you actually see the cell? You saw the cell. I've seen scenes, but I uh, haven't watched it. So in none of the three of you have actually watched the whole movie. No. Wow, call well, us you've out. got your homework. Yeah, yeah. now we got our homework. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, setting aside Selena, I think for me. I have to give it to um, Made in Manhattan just because mm. my family held off on getting a DVD player for a really long time, but we went to Blockbuster and Made in Manhattan was only available on DVD, and that prompted my family to get a DVD player. And so the oh, she changed your life. J Lo changed your life. Well, yeah, it has a personal know, history for me. To have a Latina cleaner fall in love with a Republican that is a challenging role. <laughs> <laughs> but and with that, and with we will that. let Ari Shapiro go. <laughs> NPR report. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank and you. listeners, you can buy The Best Strangers in the World anywhere books are sold, starting tomorrow, March twenty first. But you can, of course, order it anywhere today. I really recommend it. It was. So such a fun read and I learned a ton. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so Thank much. You. It's really been fun. That is our show. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Millie Tamaris. And this is the Betches Up Podcast. The Betches Up Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Rebecca Sousmacat. Editing by Rebecca Sousmacat. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails at suppod at betches.com. Betches.